Welcome to the Terrorist Therapist Show on Renegade Talk Radio with your host, Dr. Carroll. Though you may not realize that the ongoing threat of terrorism is affecting your life and that of your loved ones. Each week, Dr. Carroll analyzes the hottest topics in terror and helps you and your family reach your dreams despite living in a time of terror. What made the Texas synagogue terrorist tick? Welcome to the Terrorist Therapist Show. I'm Dr. Carol, a psychiatrist and your terrorist therapist. Yes, indeed. The It's hard to say it three times quickly. Texas synagogue terrorist ticks. Um, his name was um, Malik Faisal Akram. And his story is fascinating. I mean, it's, it's tragic. Uh, it's not surprising. <laughs> you know, I have been saying, if you've been listening to these podcasts, I have been saying for quite some time that we're going to be seeing more attacks in America uh, now that COVID restrictions are over, and especially now that um, Afghanistan turned into such a fiasco. Um, and indeed, we are. He is the first, in other words, of this new set of terrorists coming to attack America. And his aim, um, as he actually said in a telephone call to his brother, um, was to open the door to other terrorists to come into America. But I don't want to get ahead of myself. Um, and I, I will say one thing. You will be hearing uh, a little later the conversation that um, Malik uh Faisal Akram had with his brother when he was holding the people hostage at, at the Texas synagogue. Um, this is a clip that came exclusively from the Jewish Chronicle. But first, let me let me start at the beginning of the story, at least the beginning of the story as we know it in America. Um, it took 24 hours for authority authorities to call this a terrorist act when um, the terrorist, who he goes by the name Faisal, um, or Faisal, uh, when he was telling us from the very moment that he entered the Texas synagogue that he was a, te that he was a terrorist, and his words were captured on live stream, because it just so happens that the um, synagogue was uh, sending their Sabbath service live stream. And so we got to hear him. And at the very beginning, he was talking about how he wanted to die, on and on about how he wanted to die. And um, that, not in a sense like, oh my God, I'm going to die, but showing that he really wanted to die. And duh, what's that a tip off of? <laughs> that is uh, the biggest clue that he wanted to be a martyr. Uh, he wanted to go to paradise and get his 72 virgins. And um and that is what he was what he was planning. So, um, but of course, as is typical in terror attacks since 9/11, we do not hear from the authorities that it's a terror attack. You know, the reports, the early reports were uh, there was a hostage taker at a temple in in, in uh, Texas. A hostage taker. <laughs> yeah, he took hostages, but um, more importantly, he was a radical Islamist terrorist. Okay, well, let me um, let me start from that point where he how he got in and, and what he did. 
Now, this was Saturday, January 15th, 2022, when the worshipers at Congregation Beth Israel Synagogue in Colleyville, Texas, <clears throat> heard strange noises disrupt their Sabbath morning service. The rabbi heard the click of a gun, and that turned out to be uh, Faisal's gun, um, and he started soon after ranting. And uh, he was, he's a 44, he was a 44-year-old man. He was born in Blackbourne, England, of Pakistani descent. His father came to England. And he had a number of malignant thoughts that were racing through his mind when he uh, came to the synagogue. And these thoughts, these ideas, these fantasies, these wishes um, to create jihad, uh, was go have been going on for years in him. And um, during this time, as he was getting more and more radicalized, some people noticed these red flags, but no one stopped him. So despite his um, uh, criminal record, I'll tell you about that later, and his having once been on the terrorist watch list of MI5, he got a vis visa, he hopped on a plane, and he landed at JFK around New Year's Eve. He made his way to Texas, where he slept in homeless shelters. Um, he was thrown out of a mosque for erratic behavior, and he got a gun on the street and ended up, not coincidentally, at Beth Israel Synagogue, and I will explain why it wasn't a coincidence. The service, as I said, was being live streamed until suddenly the live stream stopped. And um, Faisal began holding three congregants and the rabbi for over 10 hours. And of course, the, the FBI and other law enforcement agencies surrounded the synagogue and there were hostage negotiators and so on. And they talked with him and they even got his brother, Golbar Akram, on the phone from England to try to reason with him and get him to surrender. So the hostage situation ended with, fortunately, the hostages escaping, they were in good physical health, but certainly psychologically traumatized, and Faisal was shot dead by the hostage rescue team. And this is what he wanted all along, to become a, ma a martyr for Allah. Now, um, he really wanted, his dream was really to become one of the suicide bombers that struck on 9-11. In fact, that it was after 9-11 that he uh, became obsessed with this idea of um, wanting to become a terrorist, a, a revered terrorist, a notable terrorist, a famous terrorist, basically, um, who would be famous for attacking America. So he obviously didn't get to be a 9-11 terrorist, and he settled for suicide by counterterrorism officer. You know, there's uh, such a phenomenon as suicide by cop someone who wants to commit suicide, um, but they don't want to do it themselves, and so they do something that, get, that gets um, the police to shoot them. So he was a suicide by counterterrorism officer. Now, as I was saying, um, he gave clues from the very beginning to um, that he was a terrorist, although the authorities um, refused to call it that. For the longest time, as I said, it took around 24 hours for them to call him a terrorist. Um, he kept repeating 
variations of I am going to die, I will go down dying. And it was clear that he wasn't feeling sorry for himself. He was inviting death to seek martyrdom. And um, then later on, I mean, so this was the very beginning when he went through the on these um, on the live stream that one could hear that. But later on, um, he told his brother in the phone call that we're going to hear, uh, I have come to die and go down as a martyr. Now, also early on, there was a, a clue when he said that his name was Muhammad Siddiqui. And he claimed that his sister was Afia Siddiqui. Uh, she was also called Lady Al-Qaeda. And this was woman was a Pakistani neuroscientist who was imprisoned nearby for terrorist offenses. And his idea was to, um, that he thought that if he took hostages in a synagogue, he could convince the American authorities to release her. He said, quote, you get my sister on the phone. Then later he said, I haven't spoken to her. Do something. Now, at the very beginning, they thought that he was the brother of Afia Siddiqui. And they started trying to track down her real brother, who really was named Mohammed Siddiqui. And then they found out <laughs> from his lawyer, Mohammed Siddiqui's lawyer, the real one, that um, that he wasn't uh, in a synagogue, um, that it, it wasn't the, bro the real, the biological brother, and that um, Faisal met um, when he was saying that he, she was his sister, he meant sister in Islam. Now, um, they let him into the synagogue to begin with because he looked displaced and he told them that he was homeless. So they welcomed him in and they gave him some tea and he sat down in a Sabbath service. And then, you know, shortly thereafter, he started ranting and clicking his gun and so on. At the end of the hostage situation, which took over 10 hours, um, he towards the end, he got the people to get on their the hostages to get on their knees. And um, the rabbi realized, and, and he had been getting more and more irate during the, this last hour. And so the rabbi realized that, you know, this was getting serious and dangerous. And um, he threw a chair at him as a diversion to allow the hostages to leave. Now, um, one of the things that uh, Faisal said over the live stream from the synagogue which, which is really significant, was when he asked, quote, what the F is wrong with America? There is something effing wrong with this system that you are still trying to do a deal with me. Now, um, this could be interpreted in two ways. Either he meant that he can't believe that Americans are still trying to negotiate with him instead of simply killing him, or it could mean that he can't believe Americans aren't quickly bending to his demands after we surrendered so easily in Afghanistan. And the hostages uh, described um, Faisal's rants, you know, the rest that we, the ones that we could hear and the ones that we couldn't hear after the live stream was cut off. They said that his, that his rants were at times deranged, foul-mouthed, anti-Semitic, negative towards Israel, positive towards Palestine, and positive towards Islam. Well, at this point, I will let you hear the clip of the conversation that he had with his brother, Gulbar, 
Um, he called England during this time that he was in the synagogue during these over 10 hours. And um, he, his conversation with his brother is very revealing. So take a listen. Hello. 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 Yeah, I've took some hostages on, yeah, I've been surrounded by all my men, I'm in a synagogue, yeah. But why are you doing that, man? Just, why are you doing that for, yeah? What's wrong with you? D don't worry about it, yeah, just, just you don't worry about what I'm doing, you just do what you got to do, yeah? I just, I've come to die, why but, you come but to I, die I need for? to do that. Why are you I've come to die, I'm going to take, I'm going to take them toe to toe anyway, listen. But why but are I you, just yeah? you, yeah, if I, if I said, listen, I promise, I, no, no, it's not gonna. You want to read what is gonna and what ain't gonna, okay? I promised my brother when I watched him on that deathbed that I'm going to go down as a martyr. I ain't going to let no more suppress me. I'm surrounded by old mommy, right? Right? I'm in a synagogue. I've got four beautiful guys, Jewish guys with me, right? They're trying to play ball with me. I've told them, bring her here. She's got 84 years. They're talking to her because I'm near the prison FMC Castle. I'm, I'm bombed up. I've got every ammunition. I've only been here two weeks, right? I've got them all at gunpoint. I'm gonna die. I've told them I'll release these four guys. I'll come on the yard and I'll have a toe to toe with you. Shoot me dead. Shoot her dead. Because I'm dead and she's dead. She's 84 years, right? They're fucking him dead. So you know what? I've just rang you to say, you know, if I said anything wrong to you, I'm sorry. I've told my kids to man up. Don't cry on my funeral. Don't cry on my funeral. Because guess what? I've come to die, G. Okay? I've prayed for Allah for two years for this. I'm telling you. Either you come for it or they send it, I'm coming back home in a body bag. Yeah, I'm you telling know. you. I know what I'm doing, you know. I'd rather live one day as a lion than a hundred years of a jackal. Yeah, who gives us? Listen to me. Listen to me. Allah said, I've asked Allah for this death, and guess what Allah said? He, and Allah's with me, man. I'm not worried. I'm not worried at uh, the slightest. I don't even flinch, man. You know, you don't need to do this whatever you're doing, man. Just pack it in, you know. You'll get a bit of time and you'll come out. Yeah. Man, he's come back to black. Do you know what I mean? He's come back last week. Do you know what I mean? Then it's time. Whatever you know, whatever you're doing, man. Think about your kids, man. Think about these. No, 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 no. These guys you've got there, they're innocent people, man. They will never take another woman from a Muslim. I'm opening the doors for every youngster to enter America and f with them. I'm. Why does Afghanistan always have to have a defensive war? Why can't these thick Taliban enter America and have a defensive war? Why do we need these fuckers to come to our country and do battle and we can't come in their country? They're coming to our countries, rape our women, our kids, and we can't come in their country to them. So you know what? I'm setting the precedent today. I'm setting the precedent that you. You know what? You ain't gonna get away with it anymore. Even if they don't release Dr. Afia, who gives a f They let James Foley die. They didn't, they didn't let James, they let him die and they didn't release him, but guess what? Maybe they'll have compassion for f***ing Jews, but guess what? I'm opening the doors for every f***ing youngster in England to know, let your f***ing life go, you f***ing coward. But come in a f***ing America and f*** with them if they want to f***. They'll give them f***ing war. Anyway, I'm getting off. Welcome back to the Terrorist Therapist Show, where we're talking today about what made the Texas Synagogue Tech... <laughs> it is a tongue twister. What made the Texas Synagogue terrorist tick? 
and obviously um I am laughing at my own inadequacy and not at the at the uh at the tragedy that unfolded. I mean fortunately, you know, um fortunately really um the all of the hostages as I said earlier, all of the hostages uh got out alive, but clearly they will be psychologically scarred for life, PTSD and so on. Um, although, you know, it's interesting psychologically, sometimes being in a situation like that um, where your life was threatened and, of course, having it, it having gone on for over 10 hours is particularly traumatic where you're sitting there thinking, I'm going to die, I'm going to be killed any minute. Um, okay, so you just heard a clip uh, thanks to the um, Jewish Chronicle who got this exclusive clip. Um, it's a clip of the terrorist, Faisal, talking to his brother, Gulbar uh, Akram. And, um, and they had a whole, this whole conversation and, and there was, you know, where, where, um, where his brother was trying him, trying to convince him to surrender, to, uh, let these people go. You know, there's an interesting part where he says, um, I have four beautiful Jews uh, before me, which should not be interpreted as his thinking that these Jews were really beautiful or wonderful. It's kind of like a um, when a fox look, goes into the chicken coop and looks at the chickens and, and licks his lips and says, hmm, I have four beautiful chickens here. In other words, you know, he wasn't he wasn't uh, complimenting them. He was he was planning on eating them, planning on shooting them. Um, let me tell you more about Faisal and, um, and his background, what made, makes, made him tick, what brought him to that moment that you just heard. Well, first of all, his parents came to England from Pakistan in the 1960s. They raised six sons in Blackburn near Manchester, England. Manchester, as you will remember, is where the Ariana Grande concert was um, when it was the scene of a terror attack in 2017. And um, Faisal married and had six children of his own. Um, he traveled, spent a lot of time in Pakistan, his father's homeland. And um, even though you know it would seem clear that uh, that would have was a significant time when he got radicalized, for some reason his brother um, is trying to claim that he wasn't radicalized there. He was radicalized in England. Quite frankly, he was li likely radicalized in both places. Um, then his brother said that he was arrested. That his that um, the terrorist was arrested in the 1990s at age 19, and sent to a young offenders institute. Then later on, he was sentenced to six months in prison for violent disorder because he attacked his cousins with a baseball bat during a family feud. Um, now, I had mentioned that he was obsessed with the 9-11 suicide bombers and bemoaning the fact that he wasn't one of them. So he wanted to make a bold statement of his own, and he thought that by obtaining the release of Lady Al-Qaeda, uh, that would make him become a famous terrorist, 
uh, almost as famous as the 9-11 terrorists. And um, now this woman um, was sentenced to 86 years for plotting terror attacks on American soil and for the attempted murder of, U of U.S. soldiers in Afghanistan. So she, now what's interesting is she was a cause celebre for jihadists, especially in Pakistan. Clearly he was very influenced by his father having been um, of origin, of Pakistani origin, um, you know, that he felt an allegiance perhaps more to Pakistan seemingly than to England. Um, he also chose the synagogue because of his anti-Semitic beliefs and because he assumed, he really thought the Jews controlled the world. That's part of uh, anti-Semitism. Uh, people think the Jews control the world, and that's why you know they are to be hated, uh, anti-Semitic people think. So he chose in particular this Colleyville synagogue because it was near the Dallas prison that she was in. Now, his brother also said that um, he was a deeply troubled man who had grown distant from his family in recent years, and his brother has been saying that he had mental health issues. Now, and they're blaming, the family is blaming it on the government, got, not giving him help for his mental health issues. Of course, it's the government's fault, the, the English government they're talking about. Um, well, you know, before before the brother said that, or before I knew that the brother said that, um, you know, before it was it was uh, what it was announced, or it was let out, or before this tape, um, and before the brother did interviews and so on, I had been uh, tweeting about how he had mental health issues in addition to being a terrorist, as we could tell from his having said that he wanted to die. Um, but you know, now it's, that isn't to say. Um, that, is, that is not at all to negate his very radical terrorist beliefs. Um, one thing does not negate the other. And in fact, um, as I've talked about in previous podcasts, people who are mentally ill are more vulnerable to being, um, to receiving, being influenced by the propaganda of radical Islamists. Um, also, in recent times, over the last several years, uh, four years or so, um, he really sort of went down the tubes mentally <laughs> uh, because he got a divorce, he lost his business, he lost his home, and he had a younger brother that died three months ago, died of COVID-19, and he told, well, as you just heard in the in the telephone conversation, he told his brother that he had promised their younger brother, the one who died, <laughs> that he would go down a martyr. So his brother's death and this promise to his brother to be uh, go down a, a martyr may well have been the final straw. Um, now, let me tell you a little bit more about him. Um, not, not surprisingly, when he was in England, he was referred twice to the British government's program called PREVENT. I've talked about PREVENT before in previous podcasts. That is a program 
where people are, if you think that you know a friend or relative, neighbor, anybody, you, that you, you are aware of someone who you think might be becoming a terrorist or might be a terrorist, have, have terrorist plans, um, terrorist ideas, that you are supposed to call this, this organization, this government um, program called PREVENT. And the idea of it is they are supposed, now it's a voluntary program, but they try to get these people, the, first of all, they um, evaluate the, the people, they investigate. And if they think that this person is at risk of uh, becoming radicalized or is radicalized, um, they try to get them involved in their program, a, de a kind of de-radicalization program. So, so Faisal was referred to this program in 2016 and then again in 2019. But it's not clear yet whether he actually uh, participated in any of the prevent activities. Um, there's also a program called Channel, which is the program that deals with the most severe prevent cases. And um, he wasn't considered by Channel. Then he was investigated by MI5 for more than four weeks in late 2020 after, after he went to Pakistan for six months. So, uh, but he, this was never flagged to the US. Um, and, you know, that's of course one of the big questions that are currently, that are currently being asked, um, that is currently being asked. <laughs> uh, and how did he get to America after all? Like how did he get through all these supposed security um, systems for people coming to America? How did he get a visa? when he has this background, a criminal background, a prevent background, an MI5 background, how did this happen? How did he get here? Um, so that, you know, that's still, that's gonna take a while to, uh, to um, get investigated. Now in his, in his community um, of Blackburn, um, he was known by some people to be a bit hot-headed and temperamental. Um, he had a long history of petty crime. He was regularly heard ranting about Jews in Palestine. Uh, he went to the local magistrate's court and he was berating people about, you know, 9/11 and so on. Um, like, why weren't why weren't they more involved in that? And you know, he he was he was all for 9/11. He was all for uh, the terrorists. And so he created, you know, he was asking them why, why they weren't the terrorists, why they weren't involved, you know, perpetrating 9-11. And he created such uh, chaos at the court that he was prevented from going to the court. Um, in the meantime, as all this was going on over the years, years, um, and particularly in later years, as his life was falling apart, he was quietly adopting Wahhabism, or perhaps not so quietly, <laughs> Um, and this is an extremist ideology to which many terrorists around the world have been linked. It is the literal reading of the Quran. So he attended um, lots of gatherings, you know, studied this um, in, in mosques in, in England and in Pakistan. And um, then... Um, Uh, then the, his wife, um, yes, 
well, he had all kinds of run-ins with run-ins with the law. For example, um, in 2018, bailiffs were sent to his home after he failed to pay his gas and electricity bills for several months. Um, and he threatened them with physical violence. And apparently, he was a very muscular man. He used to go to the gym a lot. <laughs> Uh, he had a lot of time on his hands because the only work that they have so far discovered is selling drugs. Um, police were called when he was um, threatening these gas, these uh, bailiffs, and they he threatened them too. They arrested him and so on. Um, so let's see. Oh, interestingly, yes, uh, he, his former GP, his former doctor, his former general practitioner has um, said, that um, medical records showed no mental health complaints. Really? <laughs> Maybe he just wasn't recognizing them or looking for them or, or saw them as symptoms of problems, or maybe Faisal was uh, very well behaved at his doctor's office. Um, he said that he had found him to be, quote, an intelligent man who had become extremist in terms of religious views. I mean, perhaps this doctor also believed these religious views. He came across as a confident man who didn't need any mental help. You know, obviously, this doctor is covering himself, trying to, um, because otherwise, you know, people would want to know, well, why didn't you do something about this? You knew that he was going to uh, perpetrate a terror attack. Why didn't you get him, refer him to a psychiatrist? Um, then, as I was saying, he, had, he committed all kinds of other crimes, and um, in... In uh, 1999, he started dealing drugs again and had several run-ins with the police again. Um, and so far, it isn't known whether he used drugs himself or merely, or merely used them for profit, but a family friend said that he sold drugs in the area at that time on a big scale. So, let's see. I have so much to tell you. <laughs> um all right, let me just finish a little more uh, during this segment. Let me tell you a little more. Now, at this time, you know, he's getting all of these arrests and so on. And so his father decided that how to stop his son from going on in his wayward life would be to um, find him a beautiful bride, which he did in Pakistan. So the woman came from a moderate background. She came to the UK hoping for a better life and future. But she quickly discovered that um, Faisal was a control freak, quote unquote. Um, he forced her to wear a full veil. She was married to him for more than seven years. She put up with his controlling behavior and daily abuse. They had six children. <laughs> um, and he got more deeper and deeper into this very uh, strict, very radical um, Islamist belief and became an increasingly devout follower. And um, four years ago, his long-suffering wife decided she had had enough. And um, she, um, as, right before she left him totally, she, uh, she said she had enough of living as a slave. So um, social workers had become involved with the family because Faisal was refusing to send his children to school. And then his wife reported him for controlling behavior and violence. And so social services helped his wife to move to a secure place in the Liverpool area 
and wouldn't let him see his children anymore. So then he hit rock bottom. He lost his house to the bank about three years ago. He had been living in another property with little or no furniture for around the last two years. And his friends say that he was living like a homeless man, which, of course, then fit with what happened when he came to the U.S. because he he was he he, he was actually homeless and he presented himself as such. OK, um, when we come back, I will tell you more about this woman, Afia Siddiqui, who he wanted to release. She's an interesting character as well. And I'll tell you about what the Blackburn Muslim community uh, put out on their Facebook page, um, really praising him instead of, you know, offering condolences um, to the hostages and so on, their families. Um, they were praising the terrorist for what he had done. So stay tuned. Welcome back to the Terrorist Therapist Show, where we're talking today about what made the Texas synagogue terrorist tick. So um, let's look at the woman, um, Lady Al-Qaeda, uh, whose real name was Afia Siddiqui. Um, this is the woman who the uh, Texas terrorist came to America to rescue, to ask for her release. Um, in other words, it was something that he thought would be a, um, a very uh, noteworthy, um, you know, if, well, actually, what's, re what's really interesting is, um, you know, and what he, what he said to his brother was, um, he had this fantasy, uh, I'll tell you about her and all that, but he had this fantasy. I mean, it wasn't just, part of it was because he wanted to do something as big as 9-11. He wanted to be known, famous, be as famous as the 9-11 hijackers, which of course is impossible, but at least he wanted to come as close as possible. So if he uh, got this woman released, which he thought he could do by um, keeping hostages, holding holding Jewish people hostages because he thought the Jewish people would have the power to get her released. Uh, why the Jewish people would want to release her when she was a, ter a terrorist and she was an anti-Semitic terrorist at that. But in any case, um, besides all of this, wanting to be notorious, uh, he he had a fantasy that he, when, he wanted um, the lady Al-Qaeda to be released and for her to come to the temple, you know, for them to bring her to the synagogue that he was in and for them to die together at the temple, to be shot together. It was kind of a Romeo and Juliet scenario, a very romanticized scenario. He and apparently this woman who he was uh, obsessed with, for them to die together would not only make him more famous, it would release her. Of course, I don't think she wanted to die necessarily, but um, that would be very a very uh, uh, dramatic kind of end for the two of them. So, all right, Lady Al-Qaeda, Al Al who is she? Um, she was a woman, a Pakistani woman, who, uh, who studied in the U.S. Um, she was a biology major at MIT, and she also um, 
she said in 1993, she said she wanted to do something to help our Muslim brothers and sisters, even if it meant breaking the law. And so she was, and she got more and more radicalized. And she got married, and she eventually went back to Pakistan, and um, she was arrested in 2008 in Afghanistan when she was found with um, two kilos of poison sodium cyanide and plans for chemical, chemical attacks on New York's Brooklyn Bridge and the Empire State Building. So she was going to come to America and perpetrate these attacks. And um, she uh, was handed to the Americans, and she was convicted of attempted murder in a U.S. court in 2010. Now, she had become um, the most wanted woman in the world by the FBI. Now, uh, during her interrogation, she grabbed her, she was so, she hated the America so much that during her interrogation, in other words, while she was already captured, <laughs> uh, she grabbed a rifle from one of her guards and shot at them, shouting, death to Americans. So, um, she, she was from, um, you know, this, this is also something I've mentioned before. Um, she was, a lot of times when people come, she was from a, a very well-to-do family, and so she was sent to America to study, and she was a neuroscientist. And a lot of times when people from the Mideast are sent to America to study, you know, in some of our, um, you know, very prestigious colleges, they feel um, they are discriminated against. I, I don't really think, to be honest, it's not that they feel that they're discriminated against. I think really a lot of people, unfortunately, uh, a lot of other college students, in other words, um, treat, leave them out, treat them di differently, um, uh, you know, make fun of them, um, uh, bully them, all these kinds of things. And that really is what engenders their hatred towards Americans, that they are not um, included and they are not liked and they are, they are uh, discriminated against. So, um, and not that this by any means justifies any attacks on America, but I think um, it would do, we would, it would be good if, if this, if this was made clear to people in college to, um, or not just in college, but in general for society to be more tolerant, especially to people from people from the Middle East. Um, I mean, not especially. We should be tolerant towards everybody, no matter what they look like. It's what's in people's hearts. Um, so now for her, so she married someone. Her family found her, uh, also arranged a, a marriage, and she married somebody, came to America. And, um, and then when the... 9-11 uh, attacks happened, ironically, it, this was the breaking point for her as well, because um, she decided that she wanted to return to Pakistan, so she got a divorce um, and, uh, and returned to Pakistan. In other words, this moved her, made her feel like uh, she really needed to help um, uh, other terrorists. 
And while she was in America, she regularly watched videos of Osama bin Laden. She spent weekends at a terror training camps in New Hampshire. I mean, so as the longer she, she was here, the more she became radicalized, the more she became uh, devoted to um, carrying out a terror attack. So she went back to Pakistan. She married somebody else who what I also ironically was the nephew of the 9-11 architect. His name was Khalid Sheikh Mohammed. And her family denies this, but that he was um, his story. But in any case, it is pretty well documented. And so all of these things made her very uh, attractive, you know, to um, Basil. Um, so, okay. So that is that, that is who he wanted to rescue in this Romeo and Juliet scenario. They would die together. Um, now, about the uh, Blackburn Muslim community. This is what they put on their website. Right after, uh, you know, as soon as it became known in England uh, what he was, what had happened. So they wrote, Faisal Akram has sadly departed from this temporary world and returned to his creator. He was the son of Muhammad Malik Akram and the brother of Gulbar, Gulbar Malik, Nasser, Yasser, and late Gulzamir Akram. May the Almighty forgive all his sins and bless him with the highest ranks of paradise. May Allah give strength and patience to his loved ones in dealing with their loss, um, etc., etc. Now, uh, imagine this. <laughs> Asking Allah, may the Almighty forgive all his sins and bless him with the highest ranks of paradise. So in other words, May, may um, Faisal get his wish. May he get to the highest ranks of paradise because he, he uh, suicided, basically, uh, to become a martyr, and he deserves the highest ranks of paradise. So, obviously, they got a lot of backlash, to say the least, um, and they ultimately took this down. Now, interestingly, this, this town, Blackburn, that I said was near... Uh, Manchester. By the way, I went to Manchester when I went to England um, in 2018 when my book, Lions and Tigers and Terrorists, Oh My, How to Protect Your Child in a, a Time of Terror, got won the um, London Book Festival. And um, and so I, I was in London and I went to Manchester on purpose to donate this book to the Manchester Library and, um, and to the mayor's office. Uh, there. So, and it's a nice city. It's kind of an industrial city, but um, but Blackburn, which is nearby, apparently has produced a lot of jihadists, including the youngest terrorist in the UK, also a number of jihadis who traveled to join ISIS, an associate of the shoe bomber, Richard Reed, and a terrorist who played a key role in an Al-Qaeda plot that targeted New York and DC. So clearly they have a lot of mosques that are teaching this, um, you know, a very radical form of um, Islam. So, oh yeah, okay. So now, 
the Blackburn Muslim community, after they took down the post and they took down the page, which may, they may have put it back up, the page back up, but um, they took down the post and they 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 came out with an excuse. So I guess they I guess they did. Um, anyhow, they came out with this excuse. They said, "Quote: We posted about the death of a local individual yesterday and utilized a standard template." with generic wording that is used on all of our death announcements. After learning about the full circumstances surrounding his death, the post was removed. Um, kind of a weak, a weak excuse, but so what is the, what can we take from all this? What are some of the things that we can take? Uh, first of all, there needs to be clearly more, um, more um, better, documentation of people who are suspected terrorists or certainly who, you know, had the background that Faisal had. Um, he, he said, he told his brother, I've prayed to Allah for two years for this. And from all the things that I was just talking about, it was clearly even more years that he um, was becoming a radical Islamist and that he was referred in fact to 2016 to prevent um, and somehow or other, all this information didn't get through to the people who grant the visas, and he got a visa. Um, now, also, you heard in in um, in his phone call to uh, his brother, which is one of the things that um, you know is really is I guess the most worrisome, and what we must take heed of for the future. He, he told his brother, quote, I'm opening the doors for every youngster to enter America and F with them. Why do we need these effing mother effers to come to our countries and do effing battle? And we can't come in their countries and F with them. I'm setting this precedent today. So that is his, you know, that is another way that he wanted to became, become renowned, um, and uh, be the one who sets the precedent for other lone wolves and uh, and others. <laughs> they don't have to be lone, but uh, other people to follow in his footsteps. And indeed, with people like the Blackburn Muslim community writing such things on their Facebook page, he will indeed succeed. So we have to we have to be more careful at who gets in. Of course, I do realize as I'm saying this that the whole thing is pretty. Um, you know, while we're watching who gets a visa and who doesn't get a visa, our southern border is totally o open. And there are terrorists coming in through there, not to mention, again, the, the Afghan terrorists uh, who Biden um, invited into this country. And yes, some of the Afghans were really helpful to our troops, but there are certainly jihadists who snuck in amongst them. Thank you for listening to The Terrorist Therapist Show. I'm Dr. Carol, your terrorist therapist. If you would like to find out more about terrorism from me, your terrorist therapist, visit my website, terroristtherapist.com. And if you're a parent or teacher and want to build stronger nests for your kids to become more resilient, Check out my new award-winning book, Lions and Tigers and Terrorists, Oh My, How to Protect Your Child in a Time of Terror. It's the first and only book about terrorism for kids. 
You can find it wherever books are sold or directly from the publisher at terrorismforkids.com. Terrorism, the number four, kids.com. I'm Dr. Carol, your terrorist therapist. Thank you for listening to the Terrorist Therapist Show on Renegade Talk Radio with your host, Dr. Carol. We hope listening to the show has made you feel calmer, more resilient, and more able to reach your dreams despite living in a time of terror. You can also check out past shows on Renegade Talk Archives for more insights.